Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and each other. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me is one of our favorite guests and one of my favorite people, Dr. <laughs> Teresa Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah. So for those of you who uh, are just tuning in and haven't had a chance to meet Dr. I don't have your bio, I realize, because you're just like, you're oh, now, yeah. you're yeah. just part of the show. Like you just show up periodically when we need yeah. to talk about something. So just a little bit of, of background for those of you <laughs> who are just meeting Teresa for the first time. Teresa is our Director of Learning and Development. She does an incredible amount of work um, with our clients. We work closely together on research and how do we think about learning differently and how do we create experiences that will be really meaningful. So as you can hear in her name, she has her Doctorate of Education. She spent uh, a number of decades in the education space yeah. before joining our work. And generally, really is an amazing person. She also, what else should you know about Teresa? She is a frontier nurse. So if you know, like you bring that uh, her paw right over here and I'll take care of it. That's uh, her ability to nurture and to heal things out in the wilderness is uh, she keeps earning new badges. So welcome. Welcome, Teresa. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, that's a fun one. That feels like and for anyone listening, it's a made up thing. So if you if you want to become one too, you just set your own criteria and go for it. You know, there's no formal certification. <laughs> right, right. Uh, if you want, if you want some like badges made, uh, go to Etsy. I'm sure you can find some artists to like actually create badges. But we we were well, one, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. I think the last time was the end of last year, 2022, yeah. where we did a reflection. And, you know, what we thought would be interesting was one to have you back on because it's well over time, but to, you know, to talk about some of the things that influence how we think about work, how we think about how we show up in our relationships, how we think about our own learning journey. And and that is this idea of readiness for change, you know, and, and if you think about um, what that has to do with conversations, um, everything. Um, if we are wanting to have conversations with ourselves or other people to influence and change behaviors, it's really important for us to understand where is the other person or even where am I mm -hmm. at uh, from a readiness to change because the thing we know is that uh, change isn't going to happen <laughs> until somebody is is ready and willing. So, so Teresa, I guess just, you know, kick us off and, you know, what comes up for you or what do you think is important for us to, where, where should we start with this? This is, I, I hadn't intended to start here, but listening to that fabulous uh, jumping off point you gave us, for anyone listening who has ever been engaged in uh, a potty training, <laughs> like you will understand this concept immediately that if someone isn't ready, you're just uh, not going to make a lot of progress and you're going to be really frustrated and you might not be the one ready. Um, there's something magical about learning in that moment that really translates, even though I don't think we've ever talked about it, Sarah, but there's... Um, when we're thinking about really changing behavior in a very lasting way, someone has to be ready. You know, and I think that's when we think about um, folks that we meet all the time, sometimes they're looking for these enormous changes, 
maybe very valid, enormous changes, but people aren't there yet, right? And so there are always um, conversations or that push-pull of how do you either help people get ready, make people get ready. Um, those, those thoughts are coming up for me and I'm smiling, thinking about a few calls we've had that always stick out in my mind related to, you know, forcing people to be ready mm. for this exciting learning journey, you know, get ready, get excited. Um, and when I think about this topic of readiness for learning, readiness for change, um, I'm thinking about the late, and great Grant Wiggins, um, who said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him thirsty, which is a very different way of thinking about learning than like the act of just drinking, right? That it Mm -hmm. is um, the desire to want to do it. And you can't force that upon someone. So I I think that's, uh, that's where my mind is at as we start this conversation. Yeah, it's, you know, it is something that we I mean, we see we see quite often in our work with clients who, you know, maybe there's a big, like you said, a big change initiative. And mm-hmm. how do we just get people excited and ready? Um, you know, maybe you have a leader who or someone who's behaving in ways that's not very productive. And it's maybe not so overt that it's like cause for some kind of, um, I don't know, uh, discipline, but it's enough that it's like, we need to start changing this behavior. And the, you know, maybe the person is deflecting, maybe they're blaming, but they're not taking any kind of ownership. Um, And maybe you're struggling, right? Like maybe, maybe you're, you're thinking like, God, I really want to get get in shape. And I like, I want it. But there's there's something that's just getting in the way. And obviously, like when we talk about habit building and all of that, there's lots of layers to all all of this. But one of the models that we sort of use as a reference, just from a standpoint of assessing, you know, when anytime we're working with clients, we're, we are trying to assess what's the readiness level, because what we bring to the table for a solution is going to look very different. You know, a team that is, um, maybe having some trust issues and doesn't even want to talk about said trust issues, that's going to look very different than a team that goes, hey, we have trust issues and I think we can figure this out. Um, and where they're at is going to look very different. So the the readiness for change model um, comes from I, you know, I wish I knew who created it first, but um, really started in the world of addiction, um, you know, um, um, motivational in, in interviewing, uh, right, as part of what comes along with this. But but basically, you can think about people's readiness for change in a couple of different ways. Um, the first stage is what we call pre-contemplative. And pre-contemplative means the person doesn't realize that there's a change that is necessary. There's a change that would be beneficial, right? I don't know what I don't know. I don't know that this is a problem. Um, and, and again, even though this came from the wor- world of addiction, it, it's applicable to any kind of behavior or change, right? And we can see it in our work. Um, the second one is contemplative, right? This is where people might start going, okay, like maybe there's another way to do this, or maybe this isn't productive, but there's still some hesitancy. There's not a commitment yet to making any kind of um, new actions or change, um, right? Maybe there's still uh, like, yep, there's a problem, but maybe the problem isn't with me um, stage, but at least they're starting to identify. And so then we get into what we call preparation or planning. This is when somebody has recognized Um, yeah, we need to do something different, or I need to do something different. And they start to put a plan for what that looks like. 
Now, just because somebody gets to planning preparation doesn't mean that they actually go to action. So that's an important thing to know. Like we, we sometimes can get stuck depending on where we're at in our journey. And then action is you're taking action and then you have maintenance, right? Um, uh, where you're maintaining and sometimes you can cycle between all of those. Um, what would you add? What would you add or expand on this, Teresa? I think a good uh, disclaimer, maybe like caveat to this idea is that if I'm in a pre-contemplative stage, if I am not quite there yet, it doesn't mean I don't have to participate. It means yeah. I have a different starting point. And yeah. so I think um, our friends who are listening, whether you're thinking about how this fits in your job and organizational development or in the team that you lead or even in your own family, um, it means different starting points. And as I think about um, the awareness of these different levels, I can't help but think when I see... Um, a part for me that's missing often in adult learning, it's that differentiation, right? Mm. That the entire organization could progress toward the same goal, but folks who are, um, I've got a handful of skills and I'm ready to keep building these are in a different spot than folks who are, I don't even know enough to know if this is uh, for me or I'm not sure how this is going to fit for me, that those folks are in different spaces. And I think I think oftentimes, and I absolutely see why this happens because time is limited, budget can be limited. Um, you know, you're only pulling folks away. I'm smiling because that's a phrase I can only pull folks away for a certain mm. amount of time mm. that we give everyone the same treatment, right? Instead of really differentiating uh, what does someone actually need to keep moving forward with their learning. So as I you know, my ongoing kind of uh, excitement or rub in this whole equation is how do we get better about doing that for the adults and in the organizations we serve, really trying to meet them where they're at? Because, uh, because I think what we see sometimes and what we've heard from the folks on our, um, you know, meetings and calls and those we serve is sometimes if the starting point is too advanced for someone, they just shut down completely. Oh, that wasn't mm -hmm. for me. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Peace out. And then we have the opposite end where folks feel like I was really ready for more and I didn't get it. And both of those feelings are very common and frustrating. Um, so I think that's an envelope. I'm excited to keep pushing with folks too, but. Well, that, that point, that point about, you know, where people are at, because what can happen, what, what I see happen is that people can get really frustrated when they're ready to take action and somebody's still back on contemplative, yeah. right? Or, you know, or another way you can think about it, an, another language you might think about is resistance, caution, wait and see, I'm ready to experiment. Now I'm ready to co-create. If I'm in co-creation space, and this comes from the work of conversational intelligence, if I'm in, if I'm like ready, like, yeah, I'm excited. Let's do this. Let's figure it out. And someone else is in sort of a full resistance space that can be, it can be really frustrating and it can be exhausting sometimes. And then what can happen is we can get frustrated with the person and we can right, like the ripple effect of erosion of trust and all of this happens instead of just recognizing where are they at and realizing that what they need is going to look different than what you need or what someone else needs to to move forward and that that differentiation piece that that you spoke about so eloquently is such an important piece because i think i think some of the, the the traps we can fall into is that i i assume people are where i'm at 
related to the change, whether that is me being yeah. ready or me being cautious and skeptical and like, what the, what the hell are you guys all doing? Like, we haven't even thought about X, Y, and Z and we haven't, we haven't moved forward. And so, so, you know, one of the things that, that you can think about for people who are interested in learning more is how you approach a conversation with somebody who maybe, um, you know, kind of all signs point to your perception is that they're not ready or willing, right? They're maybe in that pre-contemplative, they don't realize that there's an issue or an opportunity to do things differently. Um, you know, you just you, 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 you may approach that conversation a little bit different, whether that may be like connecting to what's important to them, helping them think through um, potential consequences, right? We're not even getting to what we need to do. We're trying to help them understand potentially the cost of not doing something. And, you know, and I was just, um, I was just working with somebody and, you know, she was just like chomping at the bit to be like, and here's the problem. And here's, here's like, here's why you need to change. And like, I don't know about anyone else, but somebody telling you, <laughs> here's why you need to change is almost never going to go well. <laughs> um, you know, but, but helping them understand, like, here's, here's the cost right? Like, what, what are we, what are we losing by continuing to do it this way? Or what might you gain if we could explore it a different way? Or, you know, in our work, it might be, you know, one of the things I know is important to you is integrity. And I'm curious, like how, how this behavior aligns with those, right? Um, with that value, right? Are you having the impact you want to make? And so, um, which again is very different. And I, I and, and Teresa, I'm curious to hear from your educational background. Mm -hmm. But the thing that the thing that I've observed is that somebody moving from that pre-contemplative to contemplative to preparation, one sometimes can be a really big shift. Mm -hmm. Like it can take a lot to get to that point. But I, I feel like what I've experienced is it almost has to be to be really effective. It has to be internally driven. Meaning that there might be some external pressures or factors, right? Like that can then spur the internal, right? Like, hey, if we do not change this, you're going to lose your job is a pretty big sense of urgency. And some people in those moments still don't really connect with the um, need for change. They do it because they have to, while other people go, oh, this is a wake-up call. I need to really reflect on what I'm doing. This isn't how I want to show up. So I'm curious, like, from a, a learning perspective and your background in education, what does that look like when we're looking at students, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. As you can imagine, my brain could go a lot of directions and probably needs a a hot minute to process this, but some things that are coming up for me right away. Um, if you're in the position of uh, witnessing someone making this shift, right? If you're maybe you're the manager, maybe you're the um, learning and development person in your organization, the most pivotal thing to not do is say, I told you you'd get there, mm. or something to the extent of like, finally, right? I said it wouldn't be so bad. I told I, you so. Oh, gosh. My f favorite. It's one of my favorite <sighs> phrases. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if, if we think about it through this concept of someone drinking out of compliance or actually becoming thirsty, right? Mm -hmm. Like our job is to make this experience so interesting, so curious um, that the that the picture of what is possible is so clear that you can't help but wonder what place you might have in it, 
right? That you are kind of drawn to it. Even if you still might have the permission to dismiss it after a while, you know, but, but you probably won't cause you'll be in it by then. Right. But giving that, uh, awareness to someone very early on that they're still in control. You can't change their mind for them, but you're hoping you can go along together because something that came up for me as you were talking when we're thinking about behavior change and we're thinking about adults, especially, you know, adults, kids are quite savvy too, but adults in the workplace are pretty savvy. And so this idea of the performative aspect of learning versus actual real learning and behavior change that is much clumsier, much sloppier. We have more missteps, you know, it's, it's a loud process sometimes. Um, and by performative, I mean, we have all worked with someone, uh, who, you know, I'm thinking of a guy I worked with in particular, but there are hundreds or millions potentially of examples. But he um, he could look at a book and just memorize the key terms and then just like spout them out. Just like, well, you know what they say about X, Y, Z. He knew nothing about it, really. And he had implemented none of the things. But because he could recall those key mm. words and those details, mm. everyone really thought he was doing it. And it it was um, not only did it not really do anything for him or his team, but uh, it robbed others, I think, of real learning because they perceived that he was so far ahead. Mm. You know, I think that's another watch out, whether you're the manager or, again, the L&D person or even in your house. Like people, the mistake is assuming people will all be at the same level. That's the mistake. The mistake is not that people are all over the place because that's what humans do. That's who we are. You know, I'm picturing you've got someone who's been on the team for 30 years and you have someone who joined uh, mid pandemic and is still connecting and learning the ropes. Those folks are probably at different places. Um, we know we have lots of folks who change jobs during the pandemic and those folks are likely still using a lot of their energy learning how your organization functions, right? Mm, and so they might mm. need a, another starting point to learning than someone who's very established. Um, so again, I think the issue isn't that people are in different places. It's that we assume they're all where I'm at or they should all be here. And whenever we hear that should, I know we both kind of kind of bristle up. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back with Teresa Peterson in a moment. You know, one of the things that we we know about behavior change um, and also that there may be some gaps is, uh, you know, this idea of people have to understand they have to have a strong connection to the sense of importance to why does this matter? Um, also, self-efficacy and how confident am I that I can figure this out? And, you know, and what we've learned in our work, especially with immunity to change, is that when we think about um, building new behaviors or, or new habits, um, that sometimes having a high sense of urgency and clear steps isn't enough, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, just for people, you know, there's interesting research uh, uh, that's been done. Uh, if you look at like heart patients, for example, um, you know, people who are literally told life or death, right? If you do not make these changes to your your uh, diet, your exercise, 
um, you'll die, right? Like worst case scenario, you die. Best case scenario, you're just going to be sick for a really long time. So the sense of importance is probably as high as possible. Self-efficacy maybe depends on the person. But what, what research has found is that only one in seven will actually make the changes they need to, which I think is pretty, pretty profound and provocative. And I think that when we think about this idea of readiness for change, um, one of the places we can explore is like, what assumptions are we holding? Or as you so lovingly say, what assumptions are holding us um, that might be getting in our way? Yeah. You know, as you were talking, and we shouldn't underestimate that even starting by identifying assumptions, if you're in that pre-contemplative stage, that's a great starting point. What assumptions am I holding about mm. uh, what might be possible with this? Or when I hear the word, you know, trust, I just, you know, X, Y, Z, like really uncovering what what's my resistance about? What assumptions am I making? Um, that's actually a really good starting point. And I, I think the other thing I want to echo is, even when we're really ready for action, we see the we see the purpose. We're excited. Learning isn't as easy as flipping a switch. Even mm. when we're very excited, and I that's a that's a common trap we see folks fall into in all aspects of life, but particularly work. That but everybody was so excited, and we had our training, and then what happened? You know, well, you can be as excited as it gets, but we like to call it orbital learning. We need to revisit. We need to go around. We need to deepen. We need that ongoing support um, to to really implement or really make a change stick. Um, that's learning it as much as we would love to think that the most magical, you know, bippity boppity boo experience. Ta-da! I'm just transformed. I mean, look what happened to poor Cinderella. Like the clock yeah. struck. She didn't have the support she needed to keep it going. Not sure what made me think of her, but it felt so right, you know, in that moment. But. Uh, you need that ongoing support. And ideally, um, the bigger the change, the higher the support. And then the support can taper down over time. You know, I think sometimes um, people think, does that mean we're going to be holding people's hands for the next seven years? Or, you know, I don't know. We hear all sorts of fun things. But um, but as skill develops, then you taper down the support. And the issue isn't that that has to happen. The issue is that we think it doesn't need to happen. You know, that's the issue. So I always love to give a push on that. Well, and and so let's talk about what support can look like. Yeah, because we see that we certainly see that a lot. Like we did the we did the two hour training and people aren't aren't doing it. And it's not it might have nothing to do with the fact that they don't think it's important. Maybe some people are like, I don't think it's important. But other people will be like, yeah, I want this. Like, um, it is a messy process. When we when we use that term orbital learning, that's a phrase that we coined from the standpoint of every time we revisit a topic, every time we talk about it, every time we reflect on it, every time we are practicing and experimenting, and then right, like, and, and, each time we're going deeper. And sometimes I think, especially for whether it's high achievers, um, we can forget that it took us some time to get the expertise that we got, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't something that just came overnight. And so we evaluate ourselves of like, yeah, but I know all of this really confidently. Well, you know, all of this confidently, because you've been on this journey for 15 years or 20 years or five years or what, whatever it may be. So what are some of those like, um, you know, ways we can think about supporting 
supporting our learning and supporting, you know, the, the moments of, of education on the back end? That's a beautiful question. So one of my favorites that I think is um, absolutely underutilized is calling attention to it when you see it done well, mm. recognizing it. Um, I, I use the term rewards and people often push back like, oh, I need to get someone a gift mm-hmm. card to, you know, every time. No, social rewards, right? Recognizing someone how they like to be recognized, whether that's in front of the group or a sticky note on their desk or, um, you know, a star emoji, you know, on, yeah. the, on the Zoom. <laughs> Trace <laughs> has been known to throw up a rewarding emoji, hand clapping, yeah. <laughs> yeah. heart heart in the chat. Yeah. Um, call attention to what you see that's working, the positive shift, or again, in the spirit of maybe someone who's very early on or kind of in that pre-contemplative or contemplative, um, acknowledging if they aren't doing something that gets in the way, maybe like they used to, right? I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of the work of immunity to change and that there are actions, things we do that get in the way. And maybe we're working on just not doing those things. Um, So celebrating and calling attention to the behavior you want to see, which could look like, um, you know, I'm thinking about maybe you're working on challenging one another respectfully in meetings and someone has a great intro, you know, Sarah, I really want to step into this. I know we're all working on this. So here goes. Right. And then X, Y, Z and someone else says, Oh, I saw it. That was good. Uh, Right. uh. So, so recognizing each other. Um, the other thing is we have this idea sometimes that we can have this great, uh, experience and then it's, um, over and done. And then everyone seems to just march on and, instantaneously implement this or embed it into their daily lives without any reminders or support. Um, And I'm thinking of our friend Kai Gillespie, who calls this aftercare. She Mm. likes to think of it as after the event, which for her, she almost describes like a birth, like after the birth. uh, What is the aftercare? What support do you need afterwards as you're finding your way? This might look like uh, dedicated time in a one-on-one check-in, you know, I, I know the word accountability partners is very popular. It could also be like a learning partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I know we have mm, got to gotta call it accountability or it must not be worth anything, right? Sometimes is how I feel, but um, it could be a, a learning partner. It could be a small group, like learning cohort. We've certainly done that before. Um, some follow-up team coaching. Because the other thing I'll share, and we've seen this firsthand Um, with adult learners is even knowing that after this training, we're going to have three kind of follow-ups, whether it's a Q and a or a fireside or a mastermind, like all sorts of things you can do. Seeing those on the calendar reminds your brain Mm. that more is coming Mm. on this, right? Mm. Like Mm. I better stay tuned into that because it's not over yet, which I love on a lot of levels. There are sometimes folks who are in that pre-contemplative or kind of resistant phase because they've lived through so many of these one and dones. I mean, I certainly have. I'm sure all of us have. Where you, where the the desire or or the drive to plug in is minimal because you're like, well, this isn't really. I'm never going to see this again. So I guess yeah. I'll just either be passive or just play nice for the two mm-hmm. hours. So seeing that it's on the calendar again tells even your most reluctant, you know, participants, uh, this isn't going away. 
right? That we're going to be revisiting this. And then for the people who are already there uh, and want to dig in and want to do more, that's like kid in a candy store. You know, they're ready to go back and get some support on this. Um, so that's a structure that's one of my personal favorites. Yeah. Um, Sarah, what comes up for you? Yeah, I think in addition to what you shared, I really love that point you made about like getting things on the calendar. So it's just a reminder. Mm -hmm. It's just like a reminder of what we talked about and the work we're doing or trying to do or wanting to do is is don't um, underestimate the power of just having some conversations around it. What did you learn? When did you miss an opportunity? When did you feel like you hit the mark? Um, You know, and that's and we're talking about that through a more formal um, corporate, but even, um, you know, think about it one on one conversations like one on one relationships of um, taking some time to reflect and go, hey, I really appreciated that we could have that conversation. Um, I know that wasn't easy for either of us. And I'm really glad that we could talk about that is reinforcing. I think that one of the traps that we see certainly from a corporate perspective is this idea that change doesn't happen unless there's this perfectly created Mm. document this perfectly created plan project plan this you know like here here it is here's your one sheeter on on what we've learned and we we dismiss or undervalue the learning that's actually happening in the in the moments i mean i think that um we're certainly we see that we see that with clients who are like when yeah but when do we get the the plan like that's when the work begins and it's like no the work has already begun the work began when you started asking different questions and were in conversations with yourselves and other people differently like this is this is the work um what would you say teresa you know what would you say to someone who is in a situation whether it's maybe a child maybe it's a partner family member maybe it's a coworker, a colleague um that you know, that there's a real, there is a real sense of urgency for some change, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe, you know, here, here's a situation, right? Um, uh, there's things the leader's doing that's causing some harm and the leader doesn't see it, right? Um, doesn't want to see it, whatever the case is. What, what message, what practices uh, or perspectives would you invite the person who's wanting the change to happen? Now, obviously, I know it depends on the situation and depends sure. on the specific like behaviors. But you know, what can we be thinking about if we find ourselves in a situation being frustrated um, because of where somebody's at on their journey? Yeah, that's a great question, and I agree. It depends quite a bit. You know, how much harm is being done, and so I, I, I love. I hope you're wearing your "It Depends." t-shirt today over there. But something that came up for me, uh, the value of asking some good questions and the good questions might be, you know, my perspective is X, Y, Z. And then you see that their perspective isn't the same. Um, I think some questions along the lines of what would it take for you to see that this might be happening, right? Like what would, what would it take for you to see that this could be um, going on and having the impact, right? I think getting a sense of, and it depends who I'm working with, like the classic, um, I'm going back to my, my dear friend. I wish we were actually friends, Grant Wiggins, but what evidence would you accept that it was happening this way, Mm -hmm. right? That you Mm -hmm. were causing harm or those types of things. But, um, but I think what we can't ignore is that people, often do know what they need if you give them time to think about it. Mm. And this applies to learners all over the place. So we have someone, maybe we want to move forward on 
um, you know, we've got to change how meetings are happening. They're too transactional. They're not transformational enough. People don't feel they know you. It's all business. You know, I'm thinking of many, many people we've worked with. Um, asking, what type of support do you need to start making some of those changes? Or how do you process information? Mm. This is another thing I think we can work on collectively as adult learning community is asking people how they like to learn. And I'm not talking about, you know, are you into details? Are you, you know, I'm not talking about those things. How do you, how does your brain actually process information? Would you like some articles? Would you like to listen to a podcast about it to, uh, you know, get a little loving push? Um, what types of things do you need to learn and to show up your best self? Um, I'm thinking about folks we work with who are on international teams mm -hmm. and that there could be perceptions of people not being ready when perhaps there's a language barrier at play with some of the terminology. You know, yeah. I think we have to get really curious. Um, and, and then, you know, there's something in there too about just because someone isn't ready today doesn't mean they won't be tomorrow. So I think that's where mm -hmm. you have to determine, uh, you know, is this, is this really harmful? Is this not where you're ready yet? Um, you know, I think Hollywood likes a story about some kid who's not ready or some grown up and like the door slams and they come back, you know, tail between their legs. And that's not how people come back and re-engage, right? Like you have to keep, keep it ready for them. And that doesn't mean you wait forever and it doesn't yeah. mean they get a pass forever. Um, but the people who are often really resistant need to feel that sense of power over their behavior of their learning of plugging in. So keeping that sense of power for them and letting them plug in um, isn't that difficult, but it takes patience. And I think in, in often the corporate world where, you know, roots in the industrial revolution and you know, I don't hear a lot of time clocks like buzzing with the shift ending, but it sure is there, you know, like that sense of uniformity that everyone mm. sits and faces and does mm. and learns. Um, I think that's, I think that's really something to consider how we could look differently. And, you know, the other thing I was just thinking about is, um, there might be situations where someone is willing to do more work, is willing to move out of that state or maybe make more progress if something else can come off the plate. I mean, yeah. we often take for granted there is a limit to how much your brain can do, whether that's detail work, whether that's learning and processing new information when the stress level is extremely high. Um, you know, that is valid. And I think sometimes folks who are feeling the pinches of those things get painted with that brush of being resistant or never participating when there might be some legitimate things going on. Are there barriers to remove? You know, I think that just makes me think about something we caution clients about often is leapfrogging from idea to idea to idea for training, because it does, um, it does uh, often, not always, but often um, rob people of their ability to go deep and really work on behavior change. And there's certainly nothing wrong with exposing people to lots of new ideas and kind of seeing like which one feels the juiciest for us to spend some time on. Um, but again, when often people can be overwhelmed just by the volume of topics they're facing. So I guess we, we started at 
someone who needs to change their behavior because they're a little resistant and what should they be thinking about? And then we went a lot of places, but, (laughs) um, and I think the answer for that person was, it depends. I mean, if there's a non-negotiable, be very honest about it and say, what do you need to do? What do you need from me to help move closer to this? Right. Um, I know sometimes we see places, employers, organizations who have tolerated things way too long and, and, probably need to give much less choice yeah. <laughs> over how quickly a person uh, meets expectations in some of those areas. And I do believe that most people don't approach their learning like that. Most people under the right conditions want to plug in. They just might be skeptical, not ready for any number of reasons. And I don't yeah. want to um, shortchange the stress. You know, we have companies often who reach out and they want to do a monumental change uh, at the same time they're doing about four other monumental changes. And that's extremely taxing on individuals and teams and organizations. So that's a caution too about just the readiness of the group. Yeah. Yeah. Just what's the capacity even, Mm. you know, which is, again, is going to be unique to each person. Um, but certainly something we're seeing is that, you know, we've been through an incredible amount of uncertainty and complexity and ambiguity and change and, you know, some familiarity, some sense of control can feel really good, not always uh, productive necessarily, but can, can feel really good. So how do we, especially as we talk about this through a corporate lens, um, yeah, just really have a sense of capacity, you know, it's, um, uh, we can see it when we come, you know, when we come into an organization and it's like, oh, you, your, your hair is all like everyone's hair is on fire right now. Right. <laughs> and, but you've just like tolerated it for so long. It's just become the new normal. And you don't realize that there can be another another place to go to. Um, I think I just want to go back to that one point you made. And I think this is a nice place for us to wrap up our conversation is that point you made um, earlier of just because somebody isn't ready today doesn't mean they won't become ready tomorrow. And, you know, and, and when I think about that, I think that's one, like, I want that gift. Like, I want that gift of, yeah, I might not figure it out today. But you know, like, some point I I might, or hopefully I will. Um, And, you know, and I can also hear some of the managers in my head going like, yeah, but how long do you give them? Right? Like, how long? Right? Which is, is uh, the perpetual tension of how do we how do we hold people accountable to expectations to what we're paying them for while also honoring the complexity of who they are and how they learn and where they are on their journey. But I think that's a beautiful place of just because we're not ready today. And this can be true for us individually, too. Just because you're not in a place that you're ready today doesn't mean that you might not be ready or in a different place tomorrow. So, so with that, Teresa Peterson, Sarah Final Wilson. thoughts? Anything else that you want to share on this this topic today? My final thoughts are, even if your child isn't ready to potty train today, they might be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually. So hang in there, folks, who are in that phase of their life. You are and- seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, as always. And I'll put this out to the listeners. If there's topics that you are curious about, you want us to explore, uh, you know, we get the privilege of working with incredible organizations and individuals. We're thinking about this stuff a lot. You can always send us your questions at podcast at sarahnullwilson.com and we'll have Teresa back and we can explore, explore further. So I love that. that. Listener mailbag. Mm. We should. Listener mailbag. Yes. What are your questions? What are your challenges? What would you like us to explore more deeply? Podcast at sarahnullwilson.com. Thanks so much, Teresa. Thank you. Our guest this week has been my dear colleague, Dr. Teresa Peterson. And I always love when I get to be in conversations with her. And I know one of my favorite phrases that she always says is that Grant Wiggins one, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it thirsty. Um, you know, and this work of readiness is um, is necessary and also can be frustrating at times. So hopefully, you know, we were able to share some strategies to have a little bit more grace for yourself and for other people, but also know when there might be times to set boundaries. And we do want to hear from you. Let's do a mailbag episode. So send us your questions, send us your thoughts at podcast at sarahnullwilson.com. We'd love to hear what resonates for you and what you'd like to hear more about. And if you'd like to support the show, uh, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show in your preferred podcast platform. That helps us get exposure and be able to bring on really great guests like my colleague, Teresa Peterson. Also, if you want to financially support the show, you can become a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where your financial contributions support the show and you get access to some pretty great swag. Huge thank you to our team that makes this podcast possible. Our producer, Nick Wilson, our sound editor, Drew Knoll, our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, marketing consultant, Sultan, Caitlin, Summit, Nelson, and the rest of the Snowco crew. Big thank you to Teresa for joining me today so we could talk about this topic. Uh, I look forward to our future conversations together and having you join them. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So please be sure to rest, rehydrate, and we'll see you again next week.